Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, and real. Real, real. Welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. This podcast is for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye the church. We're three friends balancing the secular and sacred, the righteous and ratchet, as we discuss current topics through a gospel lens. We might say some things we're not supposed to. But you are probably thinking it anyway. You know how we say in the church. Charge to our head, head and not our heart. We're going to keep it real. Hello, hello, hello to all the righteous, ratchet, real people out there. Welcome to another episode of the Righteous, Ratchet, Real podcast. Today, of course, I have my homegirls, Dr. Rondé and Dr. Greta. If you guys would just go ahead and give the people a good shout real quick. Hey, good people. How you doing? Okay, and I was waiting for Greta, but Greta is on the move, y'all. So she's going to be chiming in here and jumping in as necessary. That's the wonderful nature about a podcast, right? We get to do what we do, how we do it. And so we have been in a series talking about sex. You know, we're talking about, let's talk about sex, baby. All right. And so we are continuing. We are on our third episode. And so if you have not listened to the two before, please, please take a moment, go back, listen to the episodes that have come before this. Because last week, Rene was on one. She was in her <laughs> collar and very holy, but she was breaking down the scripture passages for us on the Song of Solomon and all that good erotic yes, poetry was. that the Bible did. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so our conversations have just been so enlightening. They have been fun. But I think most of all, I would say that they have been empowering as we explore sex as church folk. Today, we are joined by Pastor Terrace Broughton Robinson of Sex in the Church podcast. This sister has been doing the work as a pastor and on social media, dropping these gems, y'all and having the conversations around sex, gender, sexuality, and sexism as it relates to us church people who try to act like we don't know we having sex too. All right? She is AME, and I promise y'all that Greta and I are not stacking the roster with AME folks. She just happened to be AME, and hey. so, you know, we, we just good folk out here. So, you know, we had to bring her on. So, Amen, and shout out to Richard Allen's birthday was yesterday, y'all. Amen. Yes, Amen. yes. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all. Y'all, y'all, if y'all ain't AME, y'all don't know this. Y'all don't know this. Y'all don't know this. <laughs> The Baptists are just over here, just shaking our head. We don't. <laughs> God bless y'all. We we good. You know. <laughs> Look, A and B till we die. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, Pastor Terrace, I just want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to our listeners, and tell us why you decided to tackle sex in the church. First of all, I am so grateful to be here. I'm so thankful that there are powerful powerhouses like you all that have communed together and decided to create this platform. This is amazing work that you're doing, and I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Yep, fifth-generation AME, uh, I'm a womanist theologue, I'm African-informed, Afrofuturist, sexual ethicist. Um, I'm a graduate of Turner Seminary at the Interdenominational Theological Center, uh, as well as a doctoral student at Payne Theological Seminary. And now we know that it is the oldest freestanding HBCU seminary, and that's a big deal considering what's going on with theological education as well as HBCUs. So send a shout out to ancestors and what they did to uh, found those institutions. Um, I actually started in this work when I was 15, working in health and human services. There was a grant out, and at the time, HIV AIDS was um, disproportionately affecting African-American teens, who were receivers of semen. So that included MSM, which is men who had sex with men, as well as women. Um, And that age started at age 13. So this was back in the 90s. And um, I was 15 years old, and I was part of this Safer Sex crew. And we were going around giving condom demonstrations. And we found that even during that time, there were women who, even though were faced with, at that time, you know, we thought HIV was almost like a, a death sentence immediately back in those days. Um, so faced with that type of consequence, still did not want to use any type of condom. And so um, what was that? What, you know, intriguingly, what is this, this that makes the violation of your health and, and to put yourself at risk um, more important, you know, than gaining. And so um, that was, it, it baffled me back then. And so we look at knowing that, um, you know, particularly with sex workers, there's a necessity. There is this need. You, it's based on, you know, food and shelter and clothing. But wait a minute, the same thing was happening with teenagers. And your mama's already taking care of you. So well, why is it that, um, you know, your, the, your main concern is being attractive to these, as your grandma would say, these young boys or these young piss tail boys. Y'all know I used to tell us back in the day. Um, why is it such an um, integral part of your identity and your self-esteem? And then so now we have to look at the social factors that create that. Okay. Now you say this, you said it in your description, and you also use it as a hashtag. So I wanted to just talk about this for one second. What does it mean to be an, a sexual ethicist? <laughs> um, well, you are looking at the difference between right and wrong and good and bad. So um, oftentimes you will have this intersection of what people think is right in what you're doing in sex. But then there is also this idea of what is wrong. And so to to clearly look at the dynamics, the social dynamics, the psychological dynamics, and the differentials that create the ethics of 
how you should govern yourself based on value. Okay. All right, y'all. The, the the lady is telling us that she is here for the conversation to consider good and bad and that dichotomy around sex, right? And so I want to quote some words from you. There are two groups of people, those who see sex as dirty and those who see sex as divine and each operate accordingly. How do you see church folk operating from a place of dirty versus divine in terms of their view around sex? Well, uh, first of all, we have to recognize, and that's such a great question. I mean, y'all done y'all research. Y'all ain't playing with this thing. You hear me? <laughs> uh, first of all, we do have to look at, uh, I, in church culture, uh, black church culture particularly, and we know we're not a monolith, but there are certain values and principles that kind of govern black church and um, across the board, interdenominationally. And so we're looking at this idea of what's called um, platonic dualism, where, you know, there's the separation of the body and then the soul. So the soul is just so much better than the body that, you know, I want you to focus on that and then don't, don't think about, you know, anything else but your soul, okay? We got the body. We're going to stay in control of your body. We're going to keep you enslaved with your body. We're going to demonize your body. We're going to vilify any... Um, you know, thirst that your body has, any any feelings that your body has, all of that is going to be vilified and demonized. And so um, you just focus on your soul. And your soul, it means to do, do right by us, and that means that you will get into heaven. And so since that theology was beat into us, um, we have now continued to portray those same um, behaviors and, and and the same thinking toward body. So that's why when we have sex, we're sneaking, or that's why we have talking about sex. You know, we say it's doing the nasty. Um, and there was, these are the things that we are afraid to even say that we have urges to do because we're supposed to be uh, crucifying our flesh, right? We are supposed to be. What do they call it? Um, you know, uh, chastising your flesh, and then it's carnal. And so if you are not whipping uh, and abusing your, your body, then you're not being a good Christian. Okay, so that, that really makes me think about this phrase that you use where you talk about the miseducation of church folk. And, and we know that to be so true. So, and of course, you know, that's a shout out to Carter G. Woodson, miseducation of the Negro, Lauren Hill, miseducation of Lauren Hill. Uh, but tell us, uh, Pastor Tedris, how do you think the miseducation of the church plays into that? Well, you kind of already said it, but talk a little bit more um, on that dichotomy of, you know, dirty versus divine, sacred versus secular, spirit versus uh, flesh. And how do we begin to put some of that to bed? I love it. You know what? Because we got to address it. The same way is, uh, you know, it is beautiful and it is uh, divine and it is wonderful for us to discuss it in the sanctuary. You know, there are certain things that can't be talked about in the sanctuary. That's got to be dealt with in the vestibule or downstairs, you know. But it is a holy work for us to discuss uh, abortion recovery. It is a holy work 
for us to discuss, um, you know, divorce recovery. Here it is. We're marrying people in the church. We tell them, oh, you're getting married. you got to come do premarital counseling. But then we don't teach them how to have a beautiful and a solely beautifully in the eyes of God divorce process. That is, if, if it was a, we know that if it were a doctor who was doing surgery on us and they opened us up and, and they didn't close us up at the end, then there would be a whole malpractice suit, right? So how is it that we can usher people into a marriage and just leave them hanging when the marriage doesn't work out? Um, we have all of these things regarding even gender identity, where we have the little boys that grow up in church singing and dancing, and you, everybody already talks about how they, quote unquote, act funny. Come on now, in the black church, that's the word we use. And, and so that we let they sing in the choir, and then here it is when they get 13 or 14, and they start... Uh, having questions about their sexuality, then we shun them. So so here it is. In a, we are exploiting within our own community and stripping ourselves of the dimensions of who we are and, and not nurturing all parts of our souls. That's what leads to wholeness. Wow. So that part that you said about divorce recovery, that right there, I've never heard anything like that. And it makes so much sense. Right. It makes so much sense because we do as a person who who absolutely works with couples uh, prior to marriage and getting them ready and just working through all of these, you know, several weeks of material and content and ideas around marriage. That makes absolute sense. And although we know that divorce, you know, is not wasn't God's idea, but certainly these things happen. It makes absolute sense that we would provide some kind of aftercare. Uh, for folks who are um, in that situation. That is, that's awesome. So I want to just, just talk about um, a little bit of the Bible, uh, because last week we talked about the Song of Solomon and how, you know, we are such a repressed church, you know, church does not talk about sex, but here we have a whole book within the canon that talks explicitly, right, about sex. And then you also have a woman's voice in the text, right? A black woman present in the text talking about her sexuality in just such bold and powerful ways. Um, so it's, it's um, analyzing that particular book lends itself to a womanist kind of understanding. So uh, what do you think that womanist theology can offer to the church when it comes to um, healthier ways or, or of dealing with sex or developing a, a healthier sexual ethic, especially. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Perfect. Um, well, you know, first of all, I have to give a shout out to um, the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Grant, who was my professor, who I learned womanism and womanist theology under. <clears throat> Particularly, she taught me that because black women we are three times removed from the mainstream consideration we are marginalized to the effect that you know in policy in art industry business law every aspect of life we are not the main ones considered we're three times removed and so therefore it's necessary for us to then um and i'm going to move over into the words of the reverend dr et hari Ture, who discussed womanism and the tenets of womanism as remembering, resisting, um, recovering, and restoring. And so um, in that, 
what we're looking at is having the ability to a define what is sex sexuality and sexism uh sex in that a spectrum like a rainbow that's why we see the lgbtq uh, plus community using the rainbow sex is a spectrum of gender and and not just uh, a blue and a pink and so uh first of all we recognize that part and honor that and, and see it also in scripture uh the, the second thing we have to do is look at sexuality and you know we want to present it as this you know wild beast that has to be maintained and you know we can't talk to children about sex you know but actually it starts at um your own emotional your own emotional regulation right and like we know this even as teenage girls and i'm you know i'm not gonna sit up here and pretend like i didn't go through it to learn it like as a teenage girl i wanted to regulate other people's emotions and tell him what he needed to be and what he needed to think and how he needed to treat me and to make me feel special. Not, not because that's what I needed, but because that is what the other girls needed to see me being treated like in order for that to translate into me being valued, right? And so here we are with these notions of how to deal with each other and how to interact with each other based on stereotypes and media tropes. You just brought up something so important, which is the multidimensional aspect of intimacy. Uh, we see that in any relationship that we're entering, there are unspoken expectations. And usually when we're dating, um, there are these domains that we do not discuss. And so they are um, sexual, they are operational, they are social, you know what I mean? And they are... Um, they are, are are spiritual and so if you don't understand that you know these are the expectations that i have and, and able to communicate them then naturally whoever it is even if they're mr right they're not going to be able to align and meet up to standards and so those are one of the things that we as a church have a, re a spiritual responsibility to teach about the dimensions of the soul and and and, and what it is to expect in relationships you know, what you just said reminds me to something Pastor Hayes um, said on our first episode, that whole idea of, um, you know, normally we talk about unequally yoked, right? In terms of spiritual practice, but we're also talking about how it then lends itself to sexual practice as well, how you just described that conversation right there. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. You know, most of the time we choose our sexual partners based on those things that we perceive that we are lacking in those areas. So if, if we are, you know, across the other side of the tracks and don't got nothing, most of the time I'm going to identify the person that got something. All right. Or if a lot of times you see even a darker person wind up with somebody lighter or a lighter person choose somebody darker. I mean, you, you see people even in same sex relationships, um, in, in, in queer spectrum relationships, you have people who are more dominant and more who present as more masculine that choose even the same sex, someone more feminine and, and more detailed oriented. And so uh, we, we see that across the board because God is equilibrium. God is balance. God is that type of harmony. All right. Yin and yang, y'all. Yin and yang. Mm.
Dr. Grenin. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I just put in the chat I was having serious connection issues. I want to name something. I do have a question, but I want to name something. I'm saying it. It might sound funny, but this was my experience because I don't know something was said earlier that made me think about it. So in talking about sex, thinking about sex, I think soap operas mess me up, y'all, because I would see the soap operas and I would see, you know, he would take the woman in the arms and stroke her hair and and that wasn't my, you know, I ain't saying that never happened, but that show was far from what I experienced. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, what, what happened to, anyway, I think there's so many, so much miseducation that has gone on, whether it was uh, from grandparents or, you know, the TV, from media, from whatever the case. I just think, Lord have mercy. I'm so happy that we have a space where we can talk about this. But my question, my question, uh, Pastor Ted, this is, can you share with us some of the ways in which you have seen or had to counsel people uh, because of how the church mishandled sex and sexuality or has been uh, ways that the church has been more harmful than helpful. Oh my goodness. Um, that is, yes, ma'am. Um, it, <laughs> you know, and church hurt is a funny thing. That's why I say, mm. you know, it, it winds up being a clash. There is this serious collision between the expectations of what the church is going to do with me, for me, and through me, and then what the church mm -hmm. feels like it can do because of misinterpreted doctrine and uh, the biases of the of the people mm -hmm. and, and so and first of thing we have to realize that church is not this and we we do it all the time we make it, it's like you know church is this thing like way out there like the it's like the church and then us but that's mm -hmm. not the case it church is a legitimate outgrowth of who we are right, right. like church is is the 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 agency representation of our own moral compass. Uh, the, the, the pastor is, is only a reflection of the best of what we come up with. Mm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so, and so um, in knowing that we are now decolonized, in knowing that we um, are now getting to a point where we are studying our Africanness and having more of a uh, trust in our own spiritual identity and our own spiritual knowing and and we are uh, kind of taking away the hierarchical aspects of you know this this antiquated type of institution even if we are not doing it formally we are still doing it culturally and mm -hmm. it results in things like these types of um hush harbor brush harbor experience of uh, you know this podcast and and and, and certain magazines and you know the the table where you sit with Auntie Jackie and Grandma, and uh, the bedside where you get you know wisdom and jewels. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you know we're still doing. Oh, the, the the beauty shop or the the yes. strip club. You know we're still conjuring sacred space where we're transcending space and time to to gain the wisdom of our ancestors and the knowledge upon heaven. So we are we're shifting. You know, we're doing it. When you see, right now, if you go down the street, there is a strong percentage of people that you will see having sister wives. Right now. Right mm -hmm. now, if you go down the street, I mean, and this is, no, if you go to the bank, 
I ain't talking about 20 years ago, you had to have a perm. 20 years ago, mm. you had to look like a, a white male. And mm -hmm. you had to operate within the standard of, uh, you know, this patriarchal European-centered governance. But now, God is doing a whole new thing. That is so true. And, and see, I have more questions now about, you know, just tapping into and how we can begin to tap even more into the Africanism, the, the, the African spirituality of our ancestors. That, huh, I, I'm right there in that spot and, and feel and still have the trepidation because of how I've been taught, still have, I don't want to say fear, but just caution. And I'm, I'm like, Ugh. and just that phrase, you know, from uh, Dr. Butler, where, who told you that? Where does that come from? And why was it put there? Amen. 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 And Ashe, right? Yes. Um, yes. That we have the knowing that, uh, who was it that discussed in the souls of black folks, this to oneness, this mm -hmm. grappling right. between our Africanness and our, our African-American um, pursuits. We have to recognize that the bill of goods that was sold to us regarding our own spiritual identity and, and ancient understanding was the lie. Yeah. And now that yes. our ancestors helped, you know, let's be clear. They knew that Jesus was not that white man that was on the picture in front of them. But they also knew that they had to dance and, and, and praise as if it, they thought that it was. That was their way of preserving mm. the next generation's ability to not have to have the white Jesus on the church walls. My God. Mm -hmm. So there was something that you said, and I'm not going to let it slip by if you're listening. You said something about there being sacred space in the strip club, Pastor Terrace. Come on here and talk to us about what you say. I'm not going to let you get away without explaining that one, because I know there's some folks listening right now like, what did you say? What? Um, you know what? You are uh, you are awesome listeners. Sis. Thank you, Queen. Um, well, you know, first of all, let's let's look at first. You know, we remember James Cone and, and and the pushback that James Cone got from Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Grant. So then here it is. I'm jumping in saying, well, you know, there's also another dimension as well. There is the lowly gendered woman. There is the least of these woman you know there is the not the tamar but the other tamar you know we we always say oh tamar yeah you know david's daughter yeah but uh, uh i'm talking about the other tamar the one who had to dress up like a prostitute just to re-enter into society and be considered you know um she, she was so lowly on the totem pole that they rode her hard and left her wet and sent her back to her daddy's house with no even fear of retribution so let's just look at, um, there is a type of woman that doesn't have the male validation. There's a type of woman that doesn't have the male protection. There's a type of woman that has, um, in many times in society, had to get it how you live, right? And um, these are the women's stories that if Jesus were to come back now as the, the lowest of the lowest of the low, I'm certain that Jesus would be, um, you know, a, a, a foster child who aged out that now dances in a strip club. Wow, 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 wow. I'm just about to cry. Like, that 
-hmm. right there. That work with the text right there mm -hmm. to give life to people who are often overlooked. Because we, we were over here just talking about regular church folks and sex. Mm -hmm. But sex workers, we're not even thinking about them. So for you to name them and bring them into that conversation, you know, we talk about holy moments and sacred moments and spaces that right there for you to name them in the conversation. Well, well, you know, because in sermons, uh, they're often just the they're not they're not the divine uh, center of attention. You know, mm -hmm. in sermons, they are the, you know, reciprocate they, they they receive uh you know this divine forgiveness they're the, they're the receivers of you know somebody else's glory or somebody else's divinity but how about that the ignition of the divinity takes place at your self your daring self-concept to be seen as divine even in that type of uh contoured social degradation that's the flex <laughs> Look, we have all these past the plate moments. This, <laughs> this right here, y'all. We need to pass the plate. Woo! Even the conversations that we have in the church, whether it be about sex work, which hardly ever happens, but um, about our, our teenagers who are uh, sexually active or about single women who are sexually active or about gay folk who are sexually active, um, that can be triggering uh, to a lot of folks because you know of these conversations that we've already named that, that have been harmful to us and, and to our identity as full human beings. So how do we go about creating more trauma-informed spaces that can help people heal from the harm that's been caused by bad sexual ethics, bad theology around sex, sexual um, activity, behavior, identity, et cetera. Like, how do we do that in the church? Oh, Dr. Rene, oh, I love you. Thank you. And yes, thank you. Because we are so afraid to even want to deal with it at the church. But guess what? If, 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 if KK keep being the one that's educating my children about it, <laughs> if 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 Rock Rock is the one that keep educating my children about it, you know, if I am not if I am am not the uh, uh the the teacher of this history, if I am not the teacher of these patterns and and these ideologies and and what the system should be, if I am not the teacher, then I am leaving um, the mind of my child and the mind of of everyone who I'm responsible for in uh, getting that miseducation that, that is awaiting um, so prevalent in not just the music, but television and, and conversation and the times because of the timing that we're in, the seasons that we're in, in biblical texts, because of the seasons that we're in biblically, there is um, a falling away of so many people. And it is be, we are perishing for the lack of knowledge. And so for us to take the helm, we have to be the educators. That is, that's, we have to be the ones that are teaching the sexual truths. We have to be the ones that are close enough and knowledgeable enough and open-minded enough to delve into where our children are thinking. Where, where, what is your thinking about your pum pum? 
What is your thinking about your cookies? What is your thinking about your wee-wees? What, what do you think it's supposed to do with it? How did you, how, you know what I'm saying? These, these, are, these are conversations that have to be had in front of, in, in the light. Because when they're, when they're had in the dark, miseducation takes place. So what I hear you saying is AME Christian Education Department might need to do some revamping and revisiting. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely listen. Sis, we, what we need is all of us, we know that the pastor, of course, is the resident theologian for every AME church. What we need is a pastoral care professional, someone who specifically um, is trained and educated in the ability to teach sex, sexual development, or even a curriculum that we all will have, which that's what I'm working on. But <laughs> the, the, goal awesome. is, the goal is for us to have um, a, a collected knowledge. Um, when I say collected, I don't just mean up to date in terms of tech, technology. I mean, ancient knowledge, the nine parts of the soul, you know, let us, let us not, um, take ourselves away from the, we know that we have a Christian history. We know we have a, a Judeo-Christian history, but, but let's also connect ourselves with our comedic Judeo-Christian history. There's no way you could be somewhere for 400 years and that not be a part of your history and your culture. So we know that the pictorial, um, you know, sermons and, and what they call the hieroglyphics was no more than the, you know, the Medunetar, which discussed sexual wellness and wholeness. And so re remembering the knowledge that we already have and being able to now access it because we don't have Massa looking over our shoulder, making sure with, that we don't get smarter than what this natural slave should be. Sounds like uh, the good work of some of the UCC uh, church, the fact that they have actually taken the time out to do that and to explore what it means to be a sexual being and to educate. And so I'm excited. I, you know, I can't wait to be like, we knew Pastor Terrace when she was working on this curriculum <laughs> for us to teach the little black babies that we have care of about their sexuality and their sexual identity. So, um, you know, I, I, yes. And, and, you know, I, and I have to just say this, I don't mean to interrupt, but it, you just made me think about it. It, it is, um, even though, think about it, the golden books, all of those stories that we were taught, there were different people teaching it. You know what I'm saying? It, it wasn't like one church. It wasn't like one mom, one babysitter. There were people all over the world teaching Cinderella, teaching um, who is it? What are the names? Snow White teaching the Seven Dwarfs and teach. You know what I'm saying? Teaching um, Rapunzel. All of these values and principles were being mass distributed because there was um, this kind of convergence of interest. And so we, as people of color, Black people, African descended people, even people who are Black and um, Indigenous to the American, um, you know, population, because we can talk about that, but all of us, we should make certain that we recapture and remember this knowledge, this history, the truths that we've already explored and exposed, because that is for us. It is, it is for us to know how our bodies work and how to emotionally regulate myself so that I'm not so disappointed when he doesn't text back. Well... 
<laughs> That's the word. A whole word. Mm -hmm. So you have given us, even in describing yourself in the beginning, as an Afrofuturist. And so for those of us listening, Afrofuturism depicts a forward look at where we can be as Black people, a place where there is happiness and fullness of joy, you know. Um, and so you've shared with us the curriculum idea that you have and that you're working on, and we're super excited about where do you see the church as an Afrofuturist, as looking at us from a dimension that is beyond where we are right now? How do you say that the church should deal with sex? What does that look like in a future version of the Black church? I love it. Okay. And two, I'm going to give it two answers. First part, <laughs> first part is I, because Afrofuturism is this whole thing, right? So I, I'm going to say as a womanist, I recognize that Afrofuturism is, um, just another side of the coin of womanism because you are daring to, you're daring to reimagine uh, life, art, you know, industry, history, politics, education, self-concept, your psychology, your religion, you're, you're daring to see reality as if there was not this colonization, as if there was not uh, the imprint of imperialism as there was if there was just not slavery you know you were daring to see where we would have been if we would not weren't put on that trajectory so um you know as a, a womanist then i'm thinking that yeah that's just a, that's a, just another aspect and especially when you're african informed i would like to even say that we go so far as to pulling in um you know our spiritual truths and activating our spiritual consciousness to the point where we already say, what we say, speak those things that are not as though as though they were. We talk about it all the time, right? Um, we will change the atmosphere in a minute. We we talk about it, but think about what if we did it collectively as it related to, you know, the liberation of the interlocking systems of oppression. That when we when we walk into these spaces, we consciously agreed that this is going to be a space of equity and equality and and conscientious um you know sensitivity to all those who have been harmed we know that one out of four it's one out of four women one out of four girls have been have had to deal with some type of sexual abuse and then one out of 13 boys in our churches have had to deal with some type of sexual abuse so why is it not that we are putting information in on how to make these spaces sensitive to the needs of that group of people because they're all affected by that one situation. We know that 83%, 83% of people who have, who wind up on type, some type of substance abuse had unresolved sexual assault issues. So the correlation between Sex, un, unresolved sexual assault and so many other social ills is so high that we cannot continue to ignore it. So um, we are so grateful that you joined us. You have given us plenty of food for thought. And so 
I want to you to just tell our listeners, what are you working on right now? How they can follow you on social media and just get more of the knowledge and the wisdom and the nuggets that you have just dropped in our conversation, how they can continue just to keep up with you. You can find me on Instagram at Sex in the Church Podcast. Um, and I'm on YouTube at Sex in the Church. All righty. Thank you so much, Pastor Terrace, for joining us here at the Righteous Ratchet and Real podcast. And so for all of those uh, listeners out there, thank you for joining us again. And be sure to catch us on Thursday as we um, begin, Thursday the 23rd, as we begin to wrap up this series with a live conversation with one of our good friends, I call him my hubby, the doctor, well, future Dr. James. And so we want to have you join us and just share with us your ideas about sex, the church, where we need to go, what stood out in all of these podcasts podcasts that we have done within this series. And so we look forward to um, having you join us on the live on the 23rd of February. Okay, everybody, catch you for our next episode where we are talking to Dr. Otis Moss Jr. And no, the third, I'm sorry, not the junior, the third, Otis Moss, the third, OM3, as he joins us and talks about his new book. Everybody, peace, love, light, and plenty of righteous ratchetness and realness in your life.